Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and well, unfortunately, we've reached the offseason. It's time to do some postseason wrap-up episodes. It's time. We've had a few days, a week or so, since the, you know, the Guardians were eliminated from the playoffs, and I don't know about you, but I've had time to kind of collect my thoughts, collect my feelings, kind of come down from the season a little bit. And I think I'm finally ready. We took a few, we took some days off here, didn't we? Uh, that's not really how the show is built. This show isn't like the Lockdown Guardians or anything like that, where I have to do an episode every day. This is my podcast. You know, it's a fan podcast. Uh, and so now that we're in the off season, we kind of go at our own pace. Uh, those of you who joined us for the playoffs, I hope you subscribed. I hope you stick around all off season because we're going to bring that same energy come the 2023 season. And we're going to bring that same energy to off season news, to trades, to signings, to everything, rule five drafts, and all sorts of things that are going to go on during the off season. Uh, but right now, you know, at the end of October here, we're two games into the World Series. It's a good time to kind of reflect, look back at the 2022 season, and kind of wrap this thing up uh, how we want to wrap it up. Uh, you know, every year, I've kind of done it a little differently. Uh, you know, I remember after the 2020 season, the first season I did this show, you know, we did one episode that was all hitting, and then we did one episode that was all pitching. Well, I didn't really feel like that was appropriate this season. I thought, what would what is the storyline from this season that kind of leads to how we would wrap this up? And the big storyline from this season, because this show very much is built on storylines, uh, the big storyline from this season was the rookies. Was 17 rookies making their major league debut. An unbelievable number for any franchise. And it makes sense that we're the youngest franchise in baseball, uh, that we would do something like this. So I thought the appropriate way to kind of wrap this up is let's do one episode that's all the rookies. We're going to wrap up everything. We're going to talk everything rookies. We're going to talk about their seasons. I'm not going to necessarily give them letter grades, but we're going to kind of see how everybody did. And then we'll do a second episode, maybe in a week or so. That's all the veterans. And we'll talk all the... and. Veterans is a very loose term, right? Andres Jimenez is technically a veteran on this team. So we will talk all rookies in this episode, and then we'll talk all veterans in the next episode. And we'll we'll also talk awards and news and stuff like that. Uh, I know that uh, Quan and Straw both got Fielding Bible Awards, which, what what is, I, is that even a thing? They were promoting it on Guardian's Twitter like it was a thing. I had never heard of this award before. So some of our guys are starting to get recognized, starting to get some awards. We'll see when the big awards come down in November. The, the you know the actual rookies of the year and the gold gloves and the silver sluggers. The I guess the ones we're more used to, right? Uh, it's kind of how awards work. The more we hear them, the more used to them we are. That's uh, just how we react to them. Those are those are the more important ones, right? Because they've been around forever. Uh, so we'll get into that. Um, it's nice to see some of our guys starting to get recognized with some of the early awards. Um, we'll also talk news. Uh, there's not a ton of Guardians news right now. I guess the big storyline so far in the sort of two weeks since the season ended is that Terry Francona definitely will be back next season to coach the team. So I would imagine most of the coaching staff is going to stay intact. I haven't heard, you know, Sandy Alomar or Chris Faleka's name come up for jobs in other places yet. Some of those jobs are already being filled with like Bruce Bochy going to Texas uh, to become their man next manager. 
So I, I don't think this coaching staff is really going to change much going into next season. It seems like everything is going to just stay in place. We're going to keep working with these guys, keep working with this staff, and see how we can grow this thing. And I think, as, as Guardians fans, we can all agree that's a good thing. We liked it. I don't know about you, but I liked what this coaching staff did with this team. I like what the what the pitching staff did with this team. I do feel like we missed Ruben Niebla a little bit. It did feel like we'll get to our rookie pitchers, but the rookie hitters, it felt like definitely had a leg up this season on the rookie pitchers. The hitters were a little bit more successful than the rookie pitchers were. And maybe Ruben Niebla is, is a reason why. You know, his absence uh, now being in San Diego might have had an impact on some of those guys making the transition from AAA to the majors. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Uh, there are some, you know, very smart people uh, that have kind of backfilled those positions on the pitching, coaching side of things. And, and some of the things in the able to put in place and, and some of his strategies for training and things like that seem to still be here. So, uh, you know, the coaching staff is going to stay intact. As far as Francona goes as manager, I think we're all excited about that, even though we question some of his decisions in the playoffs and we question some of his bullpen usage throughout the year. I think every manager goes through that. I literally think whether you're talking Cleveland managers of the past, like Mike Hargrove or someone like that, or you're talking legendary managers like Lou Pinella or Bobby Cox, or you, I, th- I think everybody in season always questions their bullpen usage at some point in the season. I don't think any manager has made it through 162 games where the fan base has been like perfect. Every arm you pulled out of that bullpen, perfect. No, that's like the easiest thing to question the manager on the lineup and the bullpen usage. Uh, so yeah, so not using Bieber at the end of the ALDS, that'll probably be a decision that we discuss and kind of haunts Terry Francona's playoff record, you know, for the next few seasons. But for the most part, I think we're all pretty excited to have Tito back as manager. He's been a pretty uh, solid rock for us over the last few seasons, and uh, it's nice that uh, the coaching staff will continue on that direction. So uh, that was kind of the big news over the last two weeks. The other one was that uh, Jose Ramirez is going to have surgery on his thumb finally, and we kind of got the full story of what happened there. If you've read some of the interviews and articles, you kind of piece together the full story of basically the doctors were like, we could or we could not do surgery on his thumb. It's pretty messed up. And he walked into Terry Francona's office and said, I'm not getting surgery. Not only that, I'm in the lineup today. I'm playing. Let's roll. And yeah, it, you were right. You were right. Those of you who emailed me and called in and tweeted and were like, what's up with Ramirez's thumb? What's up? Why is he popping everything up? Where'd the power go? Is the thumb affecting his swing? You were right. Yes, it was. That's but that's kind of what makes Ramirez kind of incredible that he gutted through the injury and still provided an incredible you know value to this team, uh, an incredible amount of. I actually have the uh, uh, the Fangraphs leaderboards up, and he contributed six point two F WAR. You know, Fangraphs calculation of WAR is known as F WAR. Uh, six point two WAR to this team. He was the team leader in war, just above Andres Jimenez at 6.1. So, uh, yeah, he still was incredibly valuable to this team playing through that injury. Now, 
He, I mean, he has thumb surgery. Does he even make it back? I don't know what the timeline is on that. He probably doesn't even make it back for the end of the season. He's, he might be done for the season at that point. So I think we can all agree that uh, a slightly held down Jose Ramirez because of this thumb injury, uh, we would take that over not having him here the second half of the season. He p- still provided some fireworks. He still provided some incredible moments. And he still provided that leadership that we needed to make the playoffs and have an incredible playoff run there. So. I'm glad that he toughed it out. It's a pretty incredible story. He's a pretty incredible guy. And uh, now he's going to have the surgery, so hopefully the hand will be feeling great. He'll be able to grip the bat better. That's probably why he batted right-handed in the home run derby. And Fracona said, I didn't want to take that away from the guy. It's such a special honor. It's such a special thing. I didn't want to take it away from him because of the injury. So he bats right-handed. He doesn't have the greatest showing, but... Uh, he probably wasn't going to win that thing anyways. It's not really his thing is is hitting home runs like some of those guys do. So, uh, yeah, uh, he gutted it out. And then apparently Andres Jimenez also had a thumb injury uh, at the end of the season. And maybe that's why he struggled so much in the playoffs. He did not have a very good playoffs. Um, maybe that hand injury was really bothering him. But just like everybody follows Jose Ramirez's lead when it comes to taking hustle doubles or Going from first to third, they followed his lead when it came to this injury and gutting out their injuries. And everybody, every baseball player will tell you, by the end of the season, there is something wrong. And you you got to be tough and you got to fight through it. And uh, Jose Ramirez, once again, setting the example for the rest of this young team. So there's kind of your news of the last two weeks, kind of catching you up on where we're at Um, So let's get into this thing. And then we got an email from uh, our friend Chris. Chris in, I believe Chris is from New Jersey. Sometimes he tags his email with it. Sometimes he doesn't. But uh, we got an email from Chris that we'll wrap up the episode with because he's got a few questions to ask me about this offseason. So let's get into our rookie discussion. And I'm still going to break it up hitting and pitching. So we're going to start with the rookie hitters. And I've kind of uh, organized them by who got the most at-bats. And we'll kind of run down the list here, all 11 of them, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about them, see where we feel about them. I've got some interesting notes that I pulled out about them. So uh, let's get into this thing. So we'll start with Stephen Kwan. Absolutely freaking incredible what Stephen Kwan was able to do this season. I don't even think it's possible for me to quantify with words how incredible Stephen Kwan was this season. And I've got to say, First off, side note, Guardians Twitter has lost its mind already. They We were two days after the ALDS, and they were already working on trades, free agent lists, uh, what prospects they'd be willing to give up. You, you gotta, I mean, even Antonetti was taking a few days to sit by the pool and relax before he started making those phone calls. You know, like, you gotta, you gotta be patient, but... The hot stove season takes a long time to get heated up, and you gotta be patient. And Antonetti doesn't really make moves when everybody else is making moves. He's not the kind of person that waits for the dominoes to fall before he makes moves. Sometimes he jumps on the market and makes a move really early. Sometimes he'll sit and wait and wait and then sign a guy in spring training. Like, Antonetti does not move with the rest of the pack. So, please be patient. I saw people out of their mind that were willing to include Stephen Kwan in a trade package. Are you out of your mind, Stephen Kwan? I want this guy to play his entire 
career here. I want him to be our Altuve. Our, remember Dustin Pedroia from the Red Sox? And maybe those names are popping into my mind because those are also very short guys that were very impactful on their teams and uh, kind of stuck around their cities for a really long time. Well, that's what pops into mind. Ichiro with the Mariners, right? It's what pops into mind. I want Stephen Kwan to be our guy. The guy that's just known as the leadoff hitter for the Cleveland Guardians for the next 10 years. And just terrorizes, just absolutely terrorizes AL Central pitching. AL, you know, it's not even going to be AL pitching. We're going to face everybody starting next season. But he just terrified, you know, terrifies and you know frustrates AL Central pitching for the next ten years. It was remarkable what he was able to do. Some of the numbers on Stephen Kwan: you got a two ninety eight final batting average, a three seventy three on base percentage, a four hundred slugging for a seven seventy three OPS for a guy who look, he's not going to be about the home runs. Six home runs, but add into that twenty five doubles and seven triples from a leadoff hitter. Give me that every season. Oh my, give me that every season, and we will be making arguments that Stephen Kwan belongs in the Hall of Fame after his 15-year, you know, 10, 15-year career comes to an end. Uh, just absolutely incredible. The other number from the stat line here, 62 walks to 60 strikeouts. Come on. More walks than strikeouts from a rookie? Are you kidding me? There isn't another rookie on this list that can make that claim. Not even Will Brennan can make that claim. More walks than strikeouts. And just to let you know how good Stephen Kwan's on-base percentage is, I told you I had the Major League leaderboard pulled up here. This isn't the AL leaderboard. This isn't the rookie leaderboard. This is the Major League Baseball leaderboard. And Kwan comes in tied for 12th with Andrew Benatendi for on-base percentage in all of Baseball. The names above him, Luis Arise, Xander Bogarts, Jose Abreu from the White Sox, Jeff McNeil, Altuve, Soto, Yandy Diaz. Man, can you, can you believe what Yandy Diaz turned into in Tampa Bay? Goldschmidt, Alvarez, Freeman, Judge. Those are the guys ahead of him on the on-base percentage leaderboard. And then you've got Stephen Kwan. By the way, Andres Jimenez, only two clicks behind him, 371. He was 15th in all of baseball. So, Pretty impressive for both those guys, but Quan doing it as a rookie. And even, even with that slump he had in May, he was still able to do that and keep these numbers this high. Just absolutely incredible what Quan was able to do as far as getting on base. And remember, do you remember back in April and May and June when we were like begging for Quan to make it to the top of the lineup? Eventually, he makes it to the two-hole in the lineup, right? And we're saying it's not good enough. Get this guy into the leadoff spot. Get him up there. And eventually they make the change. They get Quan in the leadoff spot. They put Straw down in the nine hole. And that seemed to work. That seemed to work. Believe me. We're going to talk about Straw in the next episode. But that seemed to work as far as Quan goes. Uh, hitting leadoff. It's just, it, it works so perfectly. It was a beautiful uh, marriage between the style of hitter he is and the style this lineup was. Uh, it was the perfect spot for him. And then I thought this was interesting. Just as far as war goes, uh, again, Judge leading the way at 
war. The next closest is Manny Machado at 7.4. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Quan comes in. He's in the top 30 in all of baseball. He comes in at number 29 at 4.4 war as a rookie. This guy was already in the top 30 players in baseball, the top 30 hitters, I should say, in all of baseball when it comes to the value they created for their team, right? The war, wins above replacement, the value they created for their team. He's just below Bo Bichette and Corey Seager, and he's just above Carlos Correa from Minnesota, a guy who's getting paid, right, millions and millions of dollars. Quan was actually, well, they were tied. They were tied. They were both 4.4 war. He was equal in value to that guy. And uh, obviously, as a rookie, he's getting paid the you know the rookie scale, the kind of the league minimum, basically. Uh, so yeah, uh, does Dolan win again with this one? Right, Antonetti and Dolan and Chernoff, they win again, finding someone with so much value for such a low cost. Uh, I know we want to see these guys spend a little bit of money, but you, you can't blame them when things like this work out in their favor, and they have a rookie contribute so much to this team. So. I could do an hour glowing about Stephen Kwan, but let's move on to the rest of the rookies. I think I've made my case on Stephen Kwan, my fandom of Stephen Kwan, pretty clear. Last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say is not only did he bring the war, not only did he bring the on-base percentage, not only did he bring the triples and, you know, 19 stolen bases and the walks, he also brought a joy for the game. And man, as negative as people can be around sports and as negative as people can be around fandom this, these days, it was so nice to see someone bring some joy to the game. Yeah, there's hardly anyone in baseball you can find happier to be on base than Stephen Kwan. So thank you uh, to him for uh, bringing that joy and that passion up with him uh, to this game and that that positive headspace that he plays with, his mentality and his focus. It's it's a really great thing. It's a it's that that is a guy that you should take every kid at Progressive Field and every kid watching on TV. You point to Stephen Kwan and you say, "That's a guy. That's a guy that you should follow. That's a guy that you should you know. Hey, maybe your game isn't a. You might not emulate your game after him, but you should definitely emulate your attitude on the field after him. All right, so. That is our kind of our summary on Stephen Kwan. Moving down the list, speaking of joy and passion for the game, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, another just incredible story. It was so cool to see the parade they did for him uh, down in the DR when he got home. If you, something like if you make the playoffs or if you have a, like a heroic moment, they throw a parade for you. It wasn't a parade for Dominican baseball players returning home after the season. It was a parade specifically for Oscar Gonzalez for uh, having this amazing moment. And he does the home run in the 15th inning. He had a couple of amazing moments, didn't he, Oscar Gonzalez? The walk-off in Game 3 of the ALDS. And uh, so definitely made his mark in the playoffs. Uh, I got some fascinating notes on Oscar Gonzalez. He also finished with, with a 290 plus batting average, a 296 batting average, uh, just under Quan's 298. He finished with a 327 on base percentage for a power hitter for a slugger. Pretty good. A 461 slugging and a 788 OPS. Ends up with 11 home runs and 27 doubles. It took a while for the home runs to kind of come, uh, right? He was hitting a bunch of doubles off the wall. It seemed like more than he was hitting home runs. 
But he eventually got there, started to find that power swing. He did have 75 strikeouts and 15 walks. But I pulled up his baseball savant page. There's some interesting things here. Some interesting things. So his chase rate, his chase rate, he was in the first percentile for chase rate. That's not good. That's the opposite. You want to be in the 100th percentile, the 99th percentile, not the first. That means he was at literally the bottom of the league when it came to chasing pitches. However, his expected batting average was in the 93rd percentile. So yes, he did chase a lot, but when he made contact, good things actually happened. And you would expect, this is the number that blew me away. You you saw him chase sliders and breaking balls away, right? They threw him constantly. He knew they were throwing them constantly. Constantly chasing breaking balls and especially sliders down and away. And his whiff rate was 29.7% on breaking balls. However, his batting average was actually 283. His slugging was 480 off breaking balls because when they missed... And they left one in the zone, and they didn't get it out there. They didn't get it far enough outside. He made them pay, which is why he has a plus seven run value off of sliders. You would think, oh, no, it's going to be terrible, right? He's going to have a terrible run value off sliders. No, a plus seven. Even with a 30.4 whiff rate specifically on sliders, it's still a plus seven run value because he had a 272 batting average against them. He had a 485 slugging against them. So yeah, he did some serious damage off of those sliders, even though if, yes, if the pitcher got it away, if he got it in the other's batter's box, he would whiff at it. He would strike out at it. But if they didn't get it out there, he made them pay. So I thought that was really interesting. I expected the run value on this slider to be like negative 10. No, here I turn, I open baseball savant, it's plus Seven. Most of his power did come from pulling the ball. There are some doubles hit to the opposite field, but no home runs. One home run to dead center field. Everything else is pulled to left field. So uh, we'll see how much that changes. Uh, if that, you know, as he continues to grow and mature as a hitter. This is another guy where I saw a lot of people that, you know, weren't necessarily sold on him. I, I I can't this what else does this guy have to do? Probably has to stop chasing. Probably has to get that chase rate up a little bit from the first percentile. Maybe if he even gets it up to the 20th percentile or the 30th percentile, still bottom half of the league, but balance him balances him out as a hitter a little bit more. So uh, we'll continue to see the growth of Oscar Gonzalez, but I thought that was some pretty interesting numbers right there. The last thing I'll say about Oscar Gonzalez is I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the starting right fielder next season because there is going to be a lot of competition in that outfield, but I definitely want to see him keep staying in there, you know, especially against left-handed hit pitchers, like whether it's in a platoon with uh, Nolan Jones type or someone like that, they got to keep finding ways to get Oscar Gonzalez at bats. Like the bat plays at the major league level. SpongeBob is a phenomenon. I didn't even mention that. Oh my God. God, the singing of SpongeBob during the playoffs was incredible. So yeah, let's keep getting at-bats for Oscar Gonzalez. It's going to be difficult to find at-bats for everybody, but he's definitely someone that I still believe in 
even if other Guardians fans out there might be more interested in a George Valera or a Nolan Jones, uh, Gonzalez is definitely someone that I still want to see keep getting at bats in a Guardians uniform. Uh, however, they have to figure it out next season to fit everybody on this roster. And believe me, it's conversations we're going to have the entire offseason. So get ready for that. All right, so moving down the list of rookie hitters, the next most at-bats would go to Richie Palacios. Uh, called up earlier in the season, kind of in the middle of the season, and kind of a surprise uh, call-up. I know some of the bigger names on the prospect list uh, people were staring at, and then suddenly Palacios comes up and does pretty good. I mean, a former third-round pick, uh, he kind of got off to a decent start, but it kind of fizzled out. I mean, he finishes the season with 112 at-bats. It's a 232 batting average, a 293 on base, a 286 slugging. So, I mean, six doubles. That's it as far as extra base hits go. Uh, a 579 OPS. Did decent in some pitch hit, pinch hit situations, but I don't think that was really the bat that was advertised when it comes to Richie Palacios. I know that, uh, you know, he's a he's a good talent. He's he's a good prospect to have in the organization. He's someone who kind of, I think they moved him from second base to the outfield. And if I remember correctly, his defense a little bit throughout the season, especially breaking back on balls. Oscar Gonzalez, a little bit of this too, but breaking back on balls. Uh, they struggled with a little bit uh, in the outfield. So Richie Palacios is one of the guys that I have a feeling might get lost in the shuffle. There's just, I mean, there's some names coming here. And I mean, by the time we get to the end of this list, you're just going to wonder where is Richie Palacios going to find at bats in Cleveland in 2023? Like I, I heard an interview with the kid, and he seems really like a really good kid, but it's just, it's one of those things where he's not defensively as good as Quan or Brennan is. Uh, and in the infield, obviously, with guys like Jimenez and Arias and the people coming after them, I don't think he can compete defensively on the infield. At least uh, that's not what we've seen in, you know, scouting reports and things like that. So I just wonder where. They're going to find it bats for Palacios. I think as a pinch hitter, he was interesting this season. Uh, you know, the few starts he got in left field, he was interesting. It was interesting to get him in the mix. But I just wasn't overall too impressed uh, with what Palacios offered on this season. But it's not to say that I don't think there's a really good major league hitter probably in there somewhere. It's just, where does that fit with the Guardians moving forward. And that's going to be a theme for like the next five guys. Like where do they fit going forward? The next one on the list, Nolan Jones got 86 at bats, hit 244, 309 on base, 372 slugging, a 681 OPS. Did have two home runs, two monster, if I remember correctly, monster home runs. He hit some long shots. Uh, when he actually tagged the ball. And I just can't believe, I am blown away that Nolan Jones isn't being tried out at first base. Right, He's a former third baseman that converted to right field. We've seen that before in the Cleveland organization. 
but just why not first base? He'd be a big target over there. It just it makes all the sense in the world. They sent him down to AAA. I said on this podcast, it's got to be to play first base. And then he didn't. He played right field down in AAA. So uh, the Nolan Jones being a top prospect for so long, obviously it's someone we've had our eye on, so we kind of want to see it work out. I mean, that's, yeah, a lot of these top prospects don't actually work out, and that's the hard truth of baseball. But when you're, when you're a fan of the team like we are, you know, you keep an eye on these names, and you do, you do get a little bit invested in seeing them work out. And uh, Nolan Jones definitely showed some potential, showed some great defense, uh, you know, had a good arm. Actually, of all the outfielders that came up, looked decent going back on a ball, uh, which was a surprising thing to see. uh, The one, like, area of weakness of all the rookie outfielders that came up for Cleveland was going back on a ball. That does not include Quan, and that does not include Nolan Jones here. Uh, I guess that doesn't really include Will Brennan either. But yeah, uh, again, where is he finding at bats in 2023? Something we're gonna have to sort out over the winter. Uh, I was I was a little bit impressed with Nolan Jones. I, I was intrigued by Nolan Jones. I think there's still a lot of potential there in Nolan Jones to be a big power hitter. Whether he's stuck in a platoon early in his career, uh, or you know. Someone who could platoon with Oscar Gonzalez, right? A nice lefty-righty platoon there. Uh, We'll see what ends up happening with Nolan Jones. But I would say, as far as 2022 goes, intriguing. I'll give him intriguing. Tyler Freeman next on the list. 77 at-bats. 247 batting average. 314 on base. 286 slugging. A 600 OPS. Uh, The batting average in the on-base is what you would expect to see more from Tyler Freeman. Uh, than the slugging, uh, and he, he just uh, he didn't really warm up really at the major league level. Showed a few games of potential, showed some okay defense. I think if I again, this is all remembering correctly. Struggled a little bit at third base, but played much better at second and short. I feel like Arias too. Both of them kind of struggled a little bit at third base, but were good at second and short. Uh, Freeman. Yeah, some of these other guys on the list warmed up a little bit more than he did, warmed up a little bit quicker than he did. And again, same thing as Nolan Jones. I just, where are you getting him at bats? It seems like second, short, and third are pretty established. And you've got two guys already platooning at first. And, you know, they've talked about, can Freeman play the outfield? But why? Are you playing them in, you know, instead of Quan out there in left field? No, of course not. So, where are you going to mix these guys in? That's why uh, later in this episode, Chris is going to ask me about uh, upgrades that I'd want to make in this offseason. And I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, spoil my answer here. But where are you finding at bats for these guys first before you're about to upgrade any positions? So uh, Freeman, again, intrigued by, uh, still would like to see that real, that contact hitter that we've heard so much about. I'd love to see that batting average and that on base be a little bit higher till I'm sold on Tyler Freeman uh, at the major league level. But intrigued again by him. I think Jones, Palacio, Freeman, Arias, Brennan, all intriguing. 
Uh, the next one on the list, Will Benson, 55 at-bats, only a 182 batting average, 250 on base, 200 slugging, 450. He really disappeared. I'm shocked they kept him on the roster as long as they did and kept him on the playoff roster because he really disappeared. I mean, we did not see much of Will Benson. What we did see is a lot of swing and miss. 19 strikeouts to only three walks. Didn't really look ready for Major League Pitching yet. Again, big dude, lots of power in the minors. Intriguing possibilities there, but did not look ready for that leap to Major League level. And it's surprising that they kept him on the roster through the playoffs. So uh, Benson is someone I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the season back down in AAA. Uh, even though we finished the season here, I th- I think once you start getting into spring training competitions and things like that, uh, Benson probably needs a little bit more seasoning at AAA. Uh, a few more chances. Some of these guys take a little bit of time to bounce back and forth, right? Not everybody is going to be Stephen Kwan. We cannot expect that from all these prospects. Some of them take a few times of going up and down before they kind of start to figure it out, a la Andres Jimenez, right? Even Jose Ramirez took a few, you know, it took a little bit of time for him to figure it out at this level, to figure out how to be Jose Ramirez. So uh, Benson probably needs a little bit more time uh, before he's ready for Major League Pitching. Gabriel Arias, uh, it didn't look too great, but only 47 at-bats in the regular season, 191 batting average, 321 on base, 319 slugging for a 640 OPS. Uh, showed a little bit of pop with, uh, uh, you know, a double, a triple, and a home run of his nine hits. Three were extra base hits. Did strike out 16 times, but eight walks. A little bit better balance than Will Benson had. Uh, 16 and eight. All right. Uh, and then showed up a little bit in the playoffs. And, I mean, earned literally earned the first base job in the playoffs, uh, you know, because we needed his bat in there. and. Man, if he can make first base work, that actually answers some of my questions for the offseason, right? Uh, Now you've got three guys in the mix at first base without anyone. You know, there's the old adage that if you have two quarterbacks, then you don't really have a quarterback. And I kind of feel like that applies at some of the positions on the baseball field. And first base is one of them. If you have three first basemen, maybe you don't really have a first baseman. So it'll be interesting to see if they all get into a competition in spring training. Very intrigued by Arias. Man, I've said that word a lot so far this podcast. But again, we didn't get that many at-bats. He didn't really get to cook at this level. He showed some decent pop in the AAA. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know where his position is. Is he a super utility guy going into next year where he gets... 400, 500 at-bats, but plays a whole bunch of different positions? Could be. He's shown that he could play four positions across the infield, so that's really going to help him out in competition in spring training. Uh, Will Brennan got a very short time here, but he's someone that heated up very quickly. In 42 at-bats, Brennan was as advertised. 357 batting average, 400 on base, 500 slugging, a 900 OPS and only 42 at-bats. More hits than Arias had. More hits than Benson had. Uh, almost as many hits as Tyler Freeman had in a very small sample size. In, you know, 
you know, not just over half as many at bats. So Brennan, yeah, definitely has to be on your list for outfielders come 2023. And the thing that's going to stand in the way of roster construction in 2023 is that they offered Miles Straw that contract. Even though it's not a lot of money, it was a lot of years they bought up. And, man, Will Brennan is going to really, really push him in center field. Whether it's Quan or Brennan playing center field, they're really, really going to push Straw for at-bats come 2023. And uh, just, I mean, Brennan's contact ability, some of the hits he had in the playoffs, I mean, he stepped up at the big stage. So Brennan, very, very good look at the major league level. He has to be in your conversation for the four or five outfielders going into 2023. So very impressed that Brennan was able to just roll right in from AAA right into the majors and handle that major league pitching. Alex Call is one of the guys, and you know when we start talking about the veterans, we could do a whole episode about guys that were here for a cup of coffee and then gone. 12 at-bats, uh, two hits in those 12 at-bats, uh, never really got much of a chance and kind of was, it was, they were like running through guys on the 40-man roster or just running through guys at AAA, just kind of filtering guys out of the system. If it, if it somehow they clicked at the major league level, then hey, uh, Antonini Chernoff would have pulled the winning lotto ticket. Call really didn't, and boom, he was gone before we know it. And that leaves the two catchers, Lavastida and Bo Naylor. Lavastida was able to get his lone major league hit in 12 at bats. Uh, Bo Naylor in eight at bats was not able to record a major league hit. Uh, five strikeouts in eight at bats. It did not uh, look pretty for Bo Naylor. I don't know. Was he pressing, trying to impress his older brother? Uh, pressing, you know, because he got called up right at the end of the season. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Bo Naylor just could not find it at all in his whatever week that he was here uh, and actually getting games. I know he was on the playoff roster, but I don't think he was ever close to getting in a game in the playoffs. So I know there's a lot of you Guardians fans out there that are super excited for Bo Naylor. And, you know, I understand what he was doing in the minor leagues, how much he improved in the minor leagues. The conversation at catcher, I mean, is going to be very, very interesting next year because you have two veterans that held on but didn't really impress offensively. You've got two rookies that have been improving offensively in the minor leagues uh, but didn't really get a chance to showcase it at the major league level, didn't really get the opportunities. I mean, 20 at-bats combined between them. So are Lavastida and Naylor actually in the mix to start on this team next year? You know, a lot of people are assuming that Bo Naylor is going to be basically your starting catcher or your 1A and 1B, right? Your 1B of that combination, kind of like Luke Maley was this season. So it's going to be fascinating to see what they do at the catcher position. And if these guys need more seasoning at AAA, if they start them out down there, if that's an area where they attack in free agency or in trade. And uh, yeah, if these guys really do, if they go into spring training into a competition but or uh, go into spring training basically being given a job, 
A lot of decisions for them to make there as far as the catcher's position goes. As far as 2022 goes, I'm going to give them an incomplete as far as their major league experience goes. I don't think either of them really, really got an opportunity to show us what they're made of. So, uh, yeah, most of their season was played at AAA. So, let's move from the hitters. Let's move over to the pitchers. Our rookie pitchers, there are uh, six of them. And... uh, First one, the most uh, games, most appearances would go to Connor Pilkington. Appeared 15 times, got 11 starts, had a 3.88 ERA, uh, had a 1.47 WHIP, uh, 2.38 batting average against in 58 innings, uh, 50 strikeouts to 32 walks. Pilkington was, uh. It was pretty pretty rough, I think, for the most part for the lefty. There were a few good games in his game log here, specifically one against the Kansas City Royals back in uh, June 1st where he goes five innings, gets gives up uh, five hits, no runs, eight strikeouts to two walks, easily his best game of the season. It's his only win on the entire season. He had some other competitive starts down the stretch. He gave you some decent starts uh, against the White Sox uh, at the end of July. He goes five innings, only gives up two runs. Um, Comes in and pitches against the Minnesota Twins on uh, September 17th. Goes five and two-thirds in that one. It's a no decision, but it's a one-hitter, no runs, two walks, six strikeouts. So, yeah, uh, some good starts mixed in there, but... I don't didn't really impress. Didn't didn't really uh, have a, you know a signature game or a stretch of games here where you thought maybe he's starting to figure it out as a starter at the major league level. Uh, going over to a Statcast page, I mean it's icy icy blue. Eight percentile for hard hit percentage, for barrel percentage the third percentile, for walk percentage the fifth percentile. Uh, chase rate, 10th percentile, didn't get guys to chase. Expected batting average, 41 percentile. Expected slugging, 31, even worse. So, uh, yeah, really didn't uh, impress too much on the season. I'm trying to find some of the other numbers here. Uh, looking at the run value on his pitches, he had a plus two run value on his four seamer, had a plus three run value on his changeup. Uh, the slider, curve, and sinker were all zero as far as run values go. Uh, off his four-seam fastball, they hit 252. They slugged 403 off of that fastball. Uh, they, yeah, they were pretty locked into that pitch. He did record 31 strikeouts via the fastball, so there were times. But when you look at the heat map on his fastball, that's middle up is the main location where he was throwing that. I'm talking strike zone. I'm talking at the letters. I'm talking middle of the plate uh, is where he was throwing that fastball a lot. Uh, We get the changeup down, was throwing the changeup, kind of keeping it to the arm side for the lefty. Uh, Didn't throw many sliders or many curves. Mostly kept it as a four-seam fastball changeup combination. Uh, The changeup was a little better. They hit 193 off it. Uh, They did slug 316. It had a 33.3% whiff rate. So some decent stuff there from the changeup. Almost exclusively thrown to right-handed hitters. 216 changeups thrown to righties. Only 7 thrown to lefties. 
Pilkington's going to stay in the mix. He's definitely going to stay in the mix, but I absolutely, I don't think he's uh, slated to start the season in the rotation for the Cleveland Guardians in 2023. I don't think he made that kind of leap yet, but I definitely think he is going to stay in the mix as the sixth starter, as the seventh starter. We will see him again in 2023, making starts in Cleveland. I don't know if his stuff works in the bullpen as much as some of the other names I'm going to mention. So I think probably sticking with starting, it seems like, is the course for him. Now, that's actually different for the next guy, Kirk McCarty. Kirk McCarty is actually fascinating. He made 13 appearances, two starts, right? was a starter in the minors, 37.2 innings, had a 133 whip, uh, had a 454 ERA, a little bit high there. Uh, his problem was home runs, gave up 11 home runs, 26 strikeouts to 13 walks. Now, here's the interesting thing about Kirk McCarty. Uh, Kirk McCarty, going over to baseball reference, his splits as a starter versus a reliever. As a starter, he was 0-2 in two starts with an 8 ERA, uh, with a 2.0 whip. That's really bad, a 1.25 strikeout-to-walk ratio. As a reliever... In 11 appearances, it's a 3.45 ERA, much better. A 1.116 whip, much, much better. A 2.33 strikeout-to-walk ratio. So, yeah, things do get better as a reliever. And the only thing, the only blemish as a reliever is seven home runs given up uh, in 11 games. So, yeah, Kirk McCarty, I, I see a possibility, a road to him for more major league innings as a reliever over a starter. And what's even more fascinating here is that in higher leverage situations, he actually got a little bit better. Uh, seven of those home runs came with the bases empty. But with runners in scoring position, he only gave up one. Uh, they dropped from a 299 batting average against with the bases empty to a 276 uh, with runners on runners in scoring position. And the OPS really drops a 996 OPS with the bases empty with runners in scoring position, a 682 OPS. So when the pressure is on, he actually got a little bit nasty. He, he got a little bit better. In uh, some of the clutch stats here, in late and close situations, he's got it down to a 167 batting average against and a 533 OPS. Uh, in high leverage situations, uh, he had the lowest OPS, a 710 OPS against in high leverage situations. In medium leverage situations, it's a 765. In low leverage situations, it's a 908. So maybe, yeah, maybe there is a situation where he turns himself into a high-leverage reliever. So Kirk McCarty, uh, if they move him back to a starter, I think that, that might be a wasted opportunity there. You might have yourself a pretty good uh, left-handed reliever out of the bullpen, and that's always valuable, always needed. So we'll see where Kirk McCarty lands uh, if he find, finds his way into the major leagues onto that opening day roster next year as a reliever. Cody Morris got the next amount of appearances. Seven appearances from Cody Morris. Kind of filled the fifth starter role down the stretch there. A 2.28 ERA in 23.2 innings. Uh, a 139 whip. 23 strikeouts to 12 walks. 
I was really impressed with Cody Morris. I really liked what I saw from Cody Morris coming down that stretch there. Uh, didn't really pitch enough to uh, you know to pop any of the MLB percentile rankings. If you don't have enough innings, they don't really populate that on your Baseball Savant page. But I thought there were some pretty strong starts in here. Uh, a start against the Minnesota Twins on September 18th, where he goes six innings, gives up six hits, one run on a solo home run, a walk, and six strikeouts. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was pretty good for him uh, kind of running to the end of the season there. I, that was his second-to-last start. He would get a start against the Texas Rangers. Um, but yeah, after his first start against Seattle, where he gives up three runs, two earned, he never gives up more than two runs. He never gives up more than one earned run in the rest of his appearances after that very first Major League debut. Never gives up more than one earned run in the rest of those appearances. So Cody Morris is, now that is someone I could see possibly fighting for that fifth starter spot uh, and jumping ahead of Connor Pilkington, kind of in the pecking order of Cleveland starters. So Cody Morris definitely showed us some stuff uh, this year. Taking a look at his pitches, what were the run value on his pitches here? So it's plus three on the four-seam fastball. It's minus two run value on the cutter, minus three run value on the changeup, minus one run value on the curveball. Why was that four-seam fastball such a high run value where they hit 371 off of it and slugged 686 off of that four-seam fastball? All three of his home runs given up via the fastball. And I wonder why, going over his heat map here, well, a lot of his stuff is right down the middle. Uh, he's got, uh, I mean, middle, middle, he's got a big red blotch, basically middle, middle. So, uh, yeah, that might be why he gave up so many hits with that four seam fastball. He threw it a ton, threw it, uh, 44.6% of the time. The cutter, he works to the uh, outside edge much better. Uh, the changeup he leaves on that inside edge. So we'll see if Cody Morris figures out something different with his four seam fastball. Does that pitch change coming into next season? He's He's got to look at these numbers, and Carl Willis and the rest of the pitching staff have to look at these numbers and see a 371 batting average against the four-seam fastball to see that plus-three run value when everything else had a negative run value. And they have to think to themselves, either we have to change something mechanically, we got to change something in the grip, or maybe the four-seam fastball is just a pitch he doesn't need to bother with. Uh, maybe they change it to a two-seam fastball. I don't know. I don't know. I'm totally spitballing here, but uh, clearly something has to change with this fastball. So we'll see if the spin's different next year, if something's different next year when Cody Morris takes that mound in spring training. But when he does take that mound in spring training, you better believe this guy, uh, former seventh-round pick back in 2018 by your Cleveland Indians franchise, uh, you better believe that Cody Morris is in the conversation for that fifth starter spot. I, I would put him in my rankings above Pilkington for that spot. The next three guys, they got a few appearances. It wasn't too great. We ran through Tanner Tully earlier in the season. Xavion Curry got two starts, carries a 579 ERA with a 2.04 whip. And then Hunter Gaddis comes in, carries in two starts, takes two losses, has an 18.41 ERA at the major league level. Man, he is not going to like looking at his rookie baseball card very much, at least the back of it. 
uh, a 245 whip. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Tully, Xavion Curry, I don't think Tully, I'm not even not sure if Tully is with the organization anymore. Curry and Hunter Gaddis definitely are going to need some more time down at AAA. Those two were not ready. That was the one thing I noticed about both their appearances. I like I was excited. I was excited for their appearances because I had heard they'd done good stuff at AA, at AAA, uh, things that carried over. So I was excited to see what they had at the major league level. But the main takeaway I took from both of those guys was they were not prepared. They were not ready for major league hitters. I mean, Hunter Gaddis is just ridiculous. Remember, that's the game where Francona just left him in to just suffer and eat as many innings as he could. He gave up seven home runs in seven and a third innings pitched. What? What? That is insanity. Insanity. In his home runs per nine would be nine. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, uh, Hunter Gaddis, Xavier Curry, you'll see them pitch uh, in spring training games. You'll, you'll see them on that Columbus Clippers roster probably. But some stuff to work on, clearly, uh, before they get another crack at the major leagues. So uh, those are your rookie pitchers. Those are all your rookies that played on the 2022 Cleveland Guardians. And I got to say, for the hitters, I was impressed. I was impressed. I think that has a lot to do with the new hitting philosophies going on, with what Chris Faleka is able to install throughout the organization. This is something two years ago when we started this podcast, we were just, you know, attacking these guys constantly for their approach at the plate, uh, for what the hitting coach was preaching, for what was going on, right? They were like one of the, they were setting franchise records for strikeouts. And now with this whole crop of rookies, it's the complete opposite. It's a whole new Cleveland Guardians offense. And man, these rookies really came in and just fit that mold that was being established by the veterans and that was being established by the organization. They really ran with it. So very impressed with our rookie uh, hitters. The rookie pitchers, not as impressed. It wasn't quite the Cleveland pitching factory that we have heard about for all these years, right? When Bieber came up, when Plesak and Savali came up, those guys hit the ground running a lot better than Pilkington and McCarty and Morris and Tully and Curry and Gaddis did. Uh, they just, they really didn't make that leap. Like we said, for Pilkington, for Morris, for McCarty, we can find a few good appearances throughout the year. And McCarty obviously makes it work a little bit in the bullpen. But... But no, they, it was not the Cleveland pitching factory that we've come to expect. Now, there were other pitchers in that pipeline. There were guys down at single A and double A that are going to be coming fast. And, you know, we churned through so many guys this season that we got them up to the major leagues and we got them out, literally got them out of the organization. It's going to be fascinating to see if that pace slows down in 2023 or if that continues. And if guys like Pilkington and McCarty and Morris aren't really clicking, are suddenly other guys behind them, right? Doug McKaysey's and Williams down there and some of the other guys waiting maybe at the double-A level or even the single-A level this year, if they come stampeding up the minor league system, uh, hunting for the spots that Pilkington and Morris and McCarty currently occupy, right? That six-seventh starter spot. Uh, or a guy you call up into your bullpen when you need an arm that's not one of your spring training invite guys. So 
uh, yeah, uh, the pitchers have their work cut out for them to prove that they kind of, yeah, I mean, Cleveland pitching has established itself at this elite level, and uh, these guys have a lot of work cut out ahead of them to prove that they belong in that elite company. Uh, with what Bieber and Quantrill and McKenzie are, you know, have established, have continued, have continued from what Kluber and Bauer and Clevenger and Carrasco were doing and carried that over and continued that pedigree. And please second Savali at times, even though I know Savali has left a terrible taste in your mouth from that final playoff game. Remember, Savali did have moments there uh, at the end of the season and in 2021 where Savali was a a really good pitcher. So we'll see if he bounces back. But yeah, I think the rookie hitters definitely uh, get a thumbs up. And if we want to give it some kind of grade, you know, they get, I'm, I'm not going to grade it. Forget grading it. They just, a really good job from the hitters. The pitchers left a little bit to be desired from our rookie pitchers. All right. So uh, that wraps up our conversation on the rookies. Uh, to finish this thing out, we're going to go over to Chris's email here. And uh, Chris has got a lot to say. He said, what a great ride this 2022 Guardians team took us on. Thanks for capturing it all season and postseason on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. Yeah, it was disappointing how games four and five of the ALDS finished up after the Yankees were on the ropes following the epic game three comeback. Hindsight is 2020, but you wonder how Game 5 ends up had Savali not surrendered the three-run home run to Stanton in the first inning, and if a bullpen game could have worked. If the team decided to be protective of Shane Bieber's arm on short rest, it's kind of re- relieving to know that Ramirez and Jimenez played through significant injuries, and it likely affected their production, and hopefully will recover well over the offseason. That's a lot of thoughts there, Chris, all wrapped up very quickly. Uh, he says, anyways, what amazing steps forward from this young, t- talented core. There's so much to be excited for in the 2023. The minor league system is top three and with great depth and plenty of avenues. The front office can go down this offseason. Payroll flexibility. Francona will be back. Hedges is the only free agent. And the rule changes are only going to benefit this aggressive, speedy team next year. Remember, bigger bases means easier to steal, means legging out those infield singles are going to be a little bit easier. And no shift. I mean, guys like Ramirez can literally just unload and pull the ball all they want. So, yeah, he's right about those rule changes. And we'll continue to discuss that as we see them uh, develop through spring training. No, his two questions are, question number one, if you're in the front office, what offensive positions do you think this team needs to upgrade, if any, over the offseason? I still would think aggressively pursuing Sean Murphy would be great, potentially pair him with Bo Naylor or Luke Maley. Yeah, I think uh, catcher is definitely a position, Chris, that I would look at. Like I said about Lavastida and Naylor, I don't know if there's anything that tells you they were ready for that leap, even though they didn't get that much of an opportunity. So I don't know if I'm ready to just hand them a job in spring training. I kind of would like to see those guys at AAA for a little bit. Uh, And yeah, I would like to see somebody bring some offense from that catcher position. I don't know if Maley is really the guy you're going to hang on to between uh, Maley and Austin Hedges. Uh, you know, Hedges does so much in the clubhouse, right? He's such a personality in that clubhouse. You kind of wonder if they're going to keep him around just for that. But when you're talking about what seriously, seriously needs an upgrade, it's got to be the catcher position first. It's hard to find. There are not that many offensive catchers. 
So it is really hard to find. But uh, just like he did at the trade deadline, Murphy does make a lot of sense. We'll see. We'll see what they do or if they're just straightforward and honest and they say, look, we want either Naylor or Lavastida to come claim that spot, that second catcher spot, and then we'll figure out which veteran to pair with them. Uh, That'll be really interesting if we kind of get some kind of indication from the front office that that's where they're going. So that, and then first base. You have to figure out first base. I, I, Josh Naylor is highly, highly entertaining. And I mean, the personality, it was magical all season. But he struggled down the stretch. He was terrible in the playoffs. And frankly, we... You can't struggle that much against left-handed pitching. Like He just flailed so much when he didn't have to. He was trying to be the power hitter that Fermil Reyes was supposed to be. And that's just, I don't think that's Naylor's game to be a 40 home run guy. I, I need a much better batting average. I need him to stay impacting, stay in the game, keep rallies going. So, yeah, I need more from first base. Owen Miller and... Josh Naylor was a weird platoon situation, was a weird combo that didn't really click. And now you're mixing Arias into that situation. Is that an area where maybe you go outside the organization and you say, look, I need an everyday first baseman. I need a guy who gets 600 at-bats at first base and is a major, major impact on this offense in this middle of our lineup. There are guys like that available. Um, so is that an area where they aggressively pursued? They did, they did last off season. They were in on Olsen and man, if they pull off that trade for Olsen, that would have been a big, big piece in the middle of this lineup. And it still has that possibility. You could probably find at bats for Naylor and other places, uh, maybe as DH, but yeah, I, first base and catcher are definitely the two positions. The I don't think there's nowhere else on the infield that you really need to find help right now. In the outfield, there's so many intriguing possibilities with Quan Strong, Gonzalez already there, and Naylor and Palacios and Brennan and Benson. Like, do you want to add an outfielder into that mix and limit opportunities for those guys? Or are you packaging them in a trade? Don't forget George Valera coming too. Are you just packaging a bunch of these outfielders in a trade and going out and getting, whether it's a starting pitcher or uh, or uh, you know an, a corner outfielder? I don't know. I, I think there's too many guys that have way, way too much potential. I, I want to see play out a little bit in a Cleveland uniform before I'm going out and adding more to that outfield mix. So there you go. Catcher in first base. Those are my spots I'm keeping a big, big eye on. And then his question number two, do you think trade scenarios involving Savali and Plesak get discussed over the winter with so many talented starting pitchers either with the Guardians or waiting at AAA Columbus or AA? Uh, so yeah, that's his question. What's going to happen with Plesak and Savali? Frankly, uh, man, I thought Plesak did decent coming out of the bullpen at the end of the season. And really, if you think you have that many starters, because Plesak... He'll have he'll have moments, he'll have innings, he'll have stretches, but has he really put it together as a starter? You know he puts the pressure on himself to be Mike Clevenger, to be Shane Bieber. He wants to be an all-star starter. You could tell he puts that kind of pressure on himself. But has it really felt like it's clicked as a starter for him in how many seasons we've seen him now? I actually thought he was decent in the bullpen. 
I thought he brought good energy out of the bullpen and really was nasty for an inning. I, I kind of would like to see them ride with that next season and see what they get with him out of the bullpen. Savali, I still think there's a really there's a good starter. That, that Greg Maddox type, that Charlie Nagy, solid 12 to 15 game winner is in there in Aaron Savali. Uh, so I think he's going to be back. I, I don't think either of those guys are gone. Frankly, I don't think their trade value is that high that anybody's coming asking for them. Right, if anyone's coming to ask for a starter, it's probably one of their minor league guys. So yeah, I think you're going to see Savali and Plesac in a Guardians uniform next season. Now, whether it's in the starting rotation or not, that is a very interesting question. Again, there are some of their decisions, some of their moves in this offseason will indicate how that five man starting rotation is going to fill up next season. I think the top three pretty much safe, pretty much a lock, uh, and then these last two spots. Does Cody Morris fight his way in there? I mean, does he fight his way in there? Plesak end up in the bullpen, and you go Savali and Morris for those final spots. That's that's where I would lean right now. If I had to literally drop the starting lineup or the opening day roster, that's what I would put in pencil right now. So uh, thank you, Chris. Thanks for sticking with us all season. Uh, you've been fantastic. Uh, not only you know, I gotta give a shout out to Chris and the rest of the emailers because. I, I thought there would be more interaction doing a podcast. I really did. I thought so many of you would be emailing in and filling up this inbox. And it hasn't really happened that way. You're a more passive crowd. You you clearly like to listen, but you know, you're not you're not so quick to send in an email, which is fine. You do you. I understand. I, I listen to other podcasts where they're always talking about uh messaging them, and I never do. I just sit back and listen to the conversations. So uh, I understand it, but the emailers that have emailed in all season, I want to say thank you. Uh, you pushed the conversation, you pushed me, uh, you challenged me, and uh, I really enjoy your thoughts. I enjoy uh, the honest baseball conversation we can have. Uh, we're we're a pretty friendly group here, so if you do want to start jumping in the emails during the off season, or you want to start jumping in uh, in the next season, uh, I want you to be a part of the conversation. So it's clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. It's all right. Hey, don't be shy. Jump into the conversation. Throw your thoughts in there. Challenge me with a question. Uh, we can keep having fun with it. So thank you, Chris, and thank you to the rest of the emailers uh, who've been with us and kind of pushed us all season. I also want to say we've uh, we've gotten some more five-star reviews. We are an all-five-star reviewed podcast, which is just awesome. Uh, and we got a few more towards the end of the season. We're now up to 21 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, uh, which is still the biggest platform for people listening out there. Uh, our latest review from comes from Chad Wick MC. He said, keep it up. Please keep talking tribe in the offseason. Well, not really the tribe, but we'll keep talking guards. I promise you, Chad, we'll keep talking guards throughout the offseason. The schedule might get a little irregular until they start playing spring training games. But when there's news, when there's conversations to be had, Cleveland Baseball Mornings will be there to talk it out with you. So uh, thank you for the five-star reviews, everybody. Uh, It really helps grow the show. It helps people find us. So if you find yourself on Apple Podcasts, click five stars, leave a little review. It keeps us, you know, keeps that search engine optimization going, helps people find the show. So uh, that's all my thoughts on this Cleveland baseball morning. 
Uh, you know, just to just to sum up, just one more overall thought on the entire season. If you stuck with me to the end of this episode, and these wrap-up episodes are going to be long episodes. There's so much to talk about. Uh, but if you stuck with me to the end of this one, just one final thought uh, overall on the team. I was really impressed by them. I was really impressed by how far they got. I'm I'm satisfied. I'm really satisfied with this baseball season, right? If this were this were a meal, this would be a you know a five star meal as far as I'm concerned. We didn't win the World Series. No, we didn't. Unfortunately, only one team can. And if you set your expectations as a fan that if we don't win the World Series every year, then it was a complete disaster. I'm fed up with this team. This whole organization is a mess, which is what Yankees fans are saying right now. Then I, what's the point? Why do you kill yourself? You're not going to win the World Series every year. It's not going to happen. That's the goal. We drive. We work. We fight to attain that goal. And in Cleveland, we have been fighting longer than anybody. But you have to enjoy the ride. You have to enjoy the ups and downs. And you have to enjoy where this team took you. We've got some amazing playoff baseball moments that we will remember for the rest of our lifetimes. We will tell our kids about the 2022 playoffs. We'll tell them about Oscar Gonzalez's walk-off home run in the 15th inning. We'll talk about the Game 3 comeback and walk-off. These moments will live with us forever. And we have to appreciate the effort and what these young kids did and the way they entertained us all summer. So just, yeah, just what a ride. What a ride this season was. And I'm really happy with how it all went down, with where we ended up. Yeah, I wanted to beat the Yankees. Absolutely. My goal every year is to beat the Yankees. But I'm impressed with where this team went. I'm happy with how this season went. I really love being a Guardians fan. I really do. So uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. No final to talk about. Uh, the, the final was we lost in the ALDS, unfortunately. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barrett. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on this, on the rookies. Let me know your thoughts on the rookies. That's what the episode we just did was. So let me know your thoughts. We'll discuss it on the show. Do you have a rookie that really impressed? Do you have someone that you want to say, Davey, don't give up on this guy. This is my guy. I've been cheering him on since we drafted him. Don't give up on him. Hit me up on the email, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, if you want to leave an impassioned voicemail supporting Richie Palacios or Kirk McCarty, do it. Do it. We'll play it back on the show, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.